Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast featuring the Crop Doctors. Good morning from the Crop Doctors Podcast Studio in Stoneville. Tom and I have Wes Lowe with us this morning. So, Wes, good to see you. Absolutely. Great to be here. Thank you guys for asking me to come over. Tom and I have been trying, I guess, all year, Tom. So, we talked to Wes on the, the short course podcast. You were on with the Case guys, I believe. Absolutely. That's right. In December. Yeah, and, and we've been trying to get Wes. We've been trying to cross paths with Wes ever since. And so Wes comes to Stoneville just on a regular basis. And for whatever reason, when Wes is here, either Tom or I or both are not here. And so we finally, after several months, finally were able to wrangle everybody's schedules I've at once. I've been waving at him on 82. I do that with several other crews, variety testing. Usually I'm in Starkville there on the road. <laughs> Yeah. It's pretty normal. It seems like we meet each other in the road a lot. We do. There's a lot of that that goes on, especially when you feel like you circumnavigate the globe. You know, back early in our extension careers, I think we all were running like a thousand miles a week. So, yeah. how often do you come over here, Wes? Um, I mean, during, is, like during the growing season, probably once, twice a week. This is my second trip this week. Probably will be back on Friday if I had to guess. It just it just seems like uh, this time of year, especially, there's a lot of stuff that's going on and a lot of you know a lot of things that need to be checked on. And and because of the the nature of what I do, a lot of times I get involved with you know multiple crops um, and and just trying to manage all of that. It uh, becomes a uh, pretty good journey for me at least two to three times a week. Funny thing, that leads right into the question I wanted to ask you. <laughs> All right. Driving back and forth to Starkville, Wes is an engineer, right? Yep. On either side, you pick it, the westbound side or the eastbound side, how many little dotted lines do you think there are between Stoneville and Starkville? Way too many. <laughs> okay. <that's> a, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll accept that answer. <laughs> Like 120 miles worth or however. What is it? Is it 110 or 120? I think it's 130. Yeah, I think that's right. I want to say 136. As soon as I said 120, that didn't seem right. Might be a little off. I don't remember. Uh, I've looked at that. There's a lot. No, I just write the mileage down the vehicle log, and I don't pay any attention to that. So, Wes, before we get into precision ag stuff, which is what we want to talk about this morning, why don't you just tell folks a little bit about who you are and, and what you do for folks that may not be familiar with you. I am an uh, assistant professor in agricultural and biological engineering, and, and like Jason said, I'm a, I'm a precision ag guy. So um, looking at uh, the application of technology and, and how it relates to our production systems. And for me, you know, I'm more interested in how does it plug into um, – to our growers, how do how do our producers use this? How can I provide the information that they need for them to be able to make the informed decision to either choose to use this technology or to um, to better um, implement that technology on their farm to make them more efficient, to be more profitable? Because that's really what it comes down to is that ROI and and trying to figure out and answer those questions that are that are relevant and pertinent to to them. And I think our audience had, has not met you and, and not familiar with the work that you do. I know that they will appreciate basically you leading with that comment because that's obviously the top priority for our growers. We were teasing about you running back and forth between Stoneville and Storable. 
what kind of stuff are you currently working on? You know, what, what are the research projects that have got your interest right now? It's pretty uh, multifaceted. So I guess I can start off. We're looking at, at some automation in, uh, in polypipe and, and looking at some hole punching there, um, trying to figure out a way that we can streamline that process to where we can punch holes in pipe as we lay it and not just punch holes, but actually include prescriptions in that. Also, uh, we're looking at um, some planter technologies, and um, these advanced planting technologies have been out for for quite some time. Some of the hydraulic downforce and speed and and that kind of thing. But as our planting windows shorten up, you know, this is um, it's extremely important for us to understand how do we plug this in to to what we're doing already. And I think that that's uh, you know I think that's pretty pretty relevant for us and, and extremely important for us to be able to answer those questions. So if a grower comes to us and asks us, hey, will this work or how does this work? We need to be able to, to provide them not only with just that little bit of information, but also with the uh, ability for them to determine from some of the work that we've done whether it'll fit for them on their farm. And then uh, we've looked at some uh, ag autonomy. Uh, so actually worked with Raven last year on their OmniDrive or AutoCart system, looking at, at it and determining how does it work? How does it fit? Uh, is it something that would be beneficial? What does a grower's operation look like to be able to, um, to make it make it work in, in their operation? And then also from the kid, from the tinkerer standpoint, from the way I was when I grew up, I want to try to break it. I want to figure out what does it take to tear it up because I need to understand from however it's going to be used, are we going to be looking at it more than we're going to be using it? And also to provide the feedback for, for Raven, for them to be able to uh, to take that and, and, and hopefully tweak that system into something that's uh, a lot more usable for for our growers. They've got a really good product, um, I think, and, and it's it's got some good potential. Uh, I think there's a few tweaks that need to be made, obviously. Uh, but uh, all in all, I think that uh, I, I think that w- you know we're headed in the right direction anyway. And then we're also working on working on some stuff with Cotton Incorporated on weed control. So we've taken the the twist on sea and spray, and we're actually looking at some sea and till opportunities. We started out just like with sea and spray with with the green on, green on brown spraying technology, where you're just looking for a green object on that on that brown soil background and spraying we've taken it a little uh, a step further to where now um, we're actually trying to to detect weeds by species and make determinations on what we do there so um, we've outfitted a, a row crop cultivator with hydraulics so we're able to drop a tillage time where we have a weed and just plow it out, but then pick it back up. So we're trying to conserve our soil moisture uh, and and also our, our residual chemistries to make sure that uh, that we only affect the area in which we need to, uh, need to remove a weed. Beyond that, we're thinking, um, or our plan is to look at not only do we till, but also could we spray could we till and spray or dependent upon the stage of the crop, we may do absolutely nothing. 
So that's our, our thought process. We've changed cameras. We started out with a green on brown technology, but we're actually starting to use a camera that we're able to use to, uh, to identify the weed by species. So we're working on training some of those AI models right now. I've got a graduate student that's working on it. We're actually going to the field next week to do some preliminaries on, with the new camera system, and I'm pretty excited about that. I think all of our listeners would understand that embracing these technological advances is important because you you talk about, and that was the first thing I thought was, as prices of these cameras come down, how easy is that going to be to just stick in a new camera system so that you can look at that through artificial intelligence and compare those weed shape sizes, leaf sizes, and all the rest of that so that you can implement that to be a good uh, management practice. Yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's going to be something that's definitely going to become commonplace. Um, you know, as as we were talking about earlier um, before we started, that uh, the ability for us to to grab this technology and and plug it into our system is is extremely um, extremely valuable. What else then is a limitation with that system to go out to do that cultivation? Is speed still a limitation because you're talking about the camera looking at it, recognizing it, and then what are the limitations in that? The previous camera system that we used was was pretty limited um, in by speed because it it actually used mechanical relays to trigger the the tillage event. So we were we were limited there. This system, uh, the new cameras that we're using, actually have onboard AI, so we don't have to go to a remote to another computer to process that signal. We're actually doing it on board in the camera. So I'm getting almost, uh, I think 27 milliseconds. We can go from seeing that image in that lens to making a determination of what do we do and sending a signal to our, um, our controller on the, on that tillage implement to start the down process with that, uh, with that tillage time. Our limiting factor then becomes hydraulics. And, and we're working on that. I actually upgraded the hydraulic system to make that system move a little faster. I feel comfortable right now with where we are on, on evaluating this at probably running at four and a half to five miles an hour. So I think that's, I feel like it, uh, you know, from experience, we're not going to run much faster than that anyway, cultivating because we've, you know, we definitely don't, especially in a younger crop, we don't want to cover it up. So uh, I think that's something that's uh, at this point is, is fairly reasonable and would, uh, could potentially plug into our production systems pretty easily. With it being a prototype, I think the the goal of Cotton Incorporated is to kind of take this technology and make it a little bit more open source, if you will. Uh, I think they want to uh, to get this information out, and I'm sure that there will be someone that will take it and turn it into a commercial product, obviously, at some point in time. But... Um, with the right know-how, uh, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of potential here to take some of the plans that we have and turn it into something that just about anybody could, with, um, with some basic knowledge of mechanical systems and hydraulic systems, and some assistance from someone that understands uh, electronic control, could probably build this on their own farm. Tom, you wouldn't need to go up and down in my field. You just leave it down all the time. Well, we're not talking about this from a research standpoint. I mean, I've seen your fields, Jason, and I'm I'm aware. There's a couple, we have a couple of pigweeds per square <laughs> per square inch. inch. Yeah. yeah, I've uh, been there. It's obviously a subject near and dear to my heart. I saw a system similar to what I envisioned that you're describing on a vegetable farm last year on a tour. 
really cool. It definitely was not recognizing species. I think it was recognizing the crop. The row configuration, all that was very different than what we use in row crops. So the, the setup was very different. I've never even thought about a sweep going up and down. And so that's really cool. I'm just sitting here thinking about what that looks like going down the row. And that, that just seems like a really cool thing to see. I'd love to see it at some point. The sea and spray umbrella, precision spraying, we'll call it. Yeah. You see press on these. There's a variety of different technologies that are in varying stages of development. In your opinion, what's the long-term prognosis for for these types of technologies? Will we eventually see these in maybe a variety of those on just our normal farms in the Delta and, you know, other parts of the U.S.? This technology is going to become commonplace. I think it's extremely important that it does because it gives us the ability to um, to target with specific chemistries weeds as uh, different weeds as opposed to trying to tank mix and and take a blanket application approach to this. It gives us uh, the ability that way to only spray where we need to spray and spray what we need to spray in the amount we need to spray it and not have to worry about all of the other factors that are involved. So no antagonistic effects of multiple herbicide chemistries. And then, you know, thinking about it from a environmental stewardship standpoint, we're putting the chemicals that we need where we need them. And we get pushback all the time from these outside groups that, hey, they want to tell us how to farm and what we need to do. And who knows better about how to do this than, than our producers. Uh, but what it does is it gives us that weapon, and I, I use that term very loosely, it gives us the ability to to push back and go, okay, we're doing only what we need to do where we need to do it. We're using fewer chem- you know, fewer chemicals ac- across acres of land. And then from the producer side of things, we're looking at, obviously, chemistry, uh, chemical savings. We're not gonna we're not gonna be spending as much money because we're not just doing blanket applications necessarily. And it also um, it maybe it gives us the ability and what I've seen is the potential for us to be able to speed up a little bit so we can cover more acres uh, in a single day. And so you start looking at machine efficiency and let's be honest here, um, you know sprayers aren't cheap. You know self-propel sprayers are extremely expensive. Uh, everything with ag production is extremely expensive. So this is a, this is a no brainer for most of these people. You know, it's, uh, if this technology will save me time and money or some combination of those, then it's, uh, it's just figuring out how much time and money it will save me so I can turn it into a, will it pay back on my farm? And obviously, you know, right now, this is not a one-size-fits-all. It's not a cookie-cutter approach to this. I mean, it's, the technology is still a little bit expensive, and so therefore you're going to see it adopted on the larger farms faster than you will on smaller, but I believe as we continue to, to move toward larger scale adoption of this, that technology and the cost of these things will come down. I know I remember when the computer came out that had less, um, you know, had less brain power than my cell phone, that they were thousands and thousands of dollars. And you can go to any local Walmart now and pick up a laptop for a couple hundred bucks. And the thing, the same thing is going to happen here. We're going to see these technologies become more and more and more affordable 
because they're going to they're going to become more and more adopted. We're going to have the opportunity for us to plug these into a lot more of our production systems. Knowing what you know, what kind of timeline could you guess? And I know you don't know for a fact, but just guessing on timeline before it's common to drive up Highway 61 and say, oh, hey, there's, you know, in May, and hey, there's a sea and spray sprayer. Realistically, we're probably looking at a, a beyond 10 years, I think, to, for you for it to be completely commonplace. I think, you know, we're already starting to see it show up here now. I mean, there's several growers in the Delta that have sea and spray technologies, and they're using them every day. You know, and part of that is just the fact of, just the fact there's going to be some people that it just at the cost right now, it just it's cost prohibitive. It just doesn't work in their operation. But as with everything else, as people upgrade equipment and those those pieces of equipment get traded in and, and become more and more affordable, then your smaller growers are going to have the opportunity to pick these things up even in a secondhand fashion. So thinking through uh, and looking at some of the progression of things. So sea and spray is not new, really. I mean, it's been out for quite some time. And looking at where where they started probably around 10 years ago, somewhere along in there, 10 to 15 years ago, and where we are now in the adoption process, I think that we're probably looking at about that much more time before we get to where it's, it's super commonplace. But uh, it's definitely coming, and we're headed that direction in a hurry. One reason that I asked that question, Tom and I had Larry Steckel from the University of Tennessee on uh, several weeks ago. I don't yeah. know how long ago Probably it was now. And he quoted a guy from also a weed scientist from the University of Illinois, Pat Trannell. And Pat had basically said that in his estimation, the age of herbicides was over. A lot of reasons that he said that. We don't have to go into that now. And a technology like the ones that we're discussing here would definitely factor into the future of weed control if, in fact, what Pat said is true and that we are at the end of the age of, of herbicides. Yeah, and I think that that's, uh, that brings up a pretty valid point for us to use uh, over-the-top chemistries to control weed control. Um, I think, um, I mean, we've seen resistance become more and more and more of an issue over the years. We really have the only option that we have at this point is to go back to some traditional chemistries. And, and those traditional chemistries have an opportunity to, to harm our crops. So we're going to have to put it exactly where we need it. And so I think this technology and the other technologies that we're working on give us that opportunity. It gives us the ability to select exactly what we need, put it exactly where we want to, and not have to worry about uh, the detriment to the crop. We've got the ability for us to go out there and, and target our, our pests. And even if we do have just a little bit of, uh, you know, a little bit of herbicide injury, it's a single plant versus a whole field. And so these technologies, I think, are, are, are going to become um, a necessary part of uh, the way that we do things. Well, and you open up entirely new fronts for people to work in there then because you're going to need technicians that can work on those that can actually sit down and deal with that piece of equipment because as automated as that will be, they'll have to have knowledge that you have plus probably from the computer side of things. You're exactly right. It's um, yeah, There's going to be, uh, uh, just, just like everything else, it seems like we've moved toward a, a more technologically connected society 
the ag industry has uh, has been there. We've just moved a little at a, or, and, and are headed that way. We're just moving at a little bit slower pace, but we have no choice but to conform. That's the way that everything else is moving. And um, with this, uh, you're exactly right. We're going to have to have people. Our, the The face of ag is going to look a little bit different when it comes to, you know, the days of of us turning wrenches and pulling up under the shade tree and fixing things just they're pretty much over you know you even see it at the dealerships now when your technicians the biggest tool that they have in their toolbox is their laptop and it's the same thing here you know I envision this as a person that has to operate this equipment is going to be more than just someone that can that can proficiently handle the equipment they're going to have to understand and it's they're going to have to understand the the components of the systems and how they interrelate with each other and you know it's going to become extremely important that we have people that are educated to to handle this there's there's going to be a huge hole in our labor force if we don't go ahead and start trying to push and and prepare people to to think through logically how these things operate and so we're going to have to provide training for that and it's not something that you can you can just jump out here and jump on you'll have to go through some type of training before you'll be able to to operate this equipment and to work on this equipment and it's and it's going to be a little bit more in depth than just uh, you know just basic knowledge it's going to require you to become educated to go get some type of technological training i definitely didn't mean to channel us straight into the the weed control part of this but but definitely i was interested in that yeah. well we the, see where your interests yeah. lie that, yeah. so that's i'm not surprised the, no. I, you know. <laughs> the other thing that you said when, when you were laying out the different projects that you were working on west that really made my ears perk up when you talked about automated hole punching on polypipe so tell yeah. me about that that one really piqued my interest that's one of those mississippi soybean promotion board is providing us funding to to work on this um we're looking at at ways that we can streamline this this polypipe laying out process and hole punching and so we started on this project last year what we found out was we knew absolutely zero about the material properties of polypipe and in order to punch a hole, you got to know how much force it takes. And we we didn't know anything, so that was our first uh, <laughs> that was our first problem. And and so we div- we put together a uh, a test fixture to actually push a piece of pipe to what we consider to be the limits. the The common misconception that we have found is that poly pipe failure does not happen when it bursts. Polypipe failure happens way before that. So that whole geometry just with slight overpressurization changes dramatically. To kind of put it into perspective, on 7 mil pipe, no matter what size, you can go to about about 2 foot ahead before you start seeing a little bit of a little bit of change and that's pretty much the max that we've seen. If you carry it over just slightly, that hole geometry changes. So if we started with a started with a three quarter inch hole, if we carry it over what we call one hundred and fifty percent of of that maximum, which is only about about one psi, our flow characteristics of that hole change dramatically. So you've heard people talking about these computerized hole selection. It doesn't work on my farm. I think what we've done is we've 
not in, I guess, unintentionally discovered that we may have figured out that that uh, it doesn't work on my farm because maybe we're overpressurizing a little bit and it doesn't take much. You don't have to see any kind of def- deformation in the pipe at all. There's no, you know, the, the white streaks from where you've overpressurized, none of that. Um, you can't tell any, any difference just by visually inspecting that pipe. It does make a difference in whole flow. And, and so you can water out on one end and never get it, uh, never get it across uh, all the way across the field on the other, just by slight overpressurization. So we're wanting to get to that a little bit more. We're actually uh, we've we've run uh, several different mill thicknesses and sizes and discovered that that you know there are differences. Obviously, the heavier pipe is going to be more resistant to that. What we really need to do is we need to look at, and, and we're doing this actually in the next couple of weeks, is we're rolling out big rolls of pipe, and we're going to look at exactly how does that look across that that whole run of pipe. Does, when we overpressurize, are all the holes uh, uniformly affected, or do we have more um, have more deformation the closer we are to the riser, and which is what I speculate. I think that's what we're going to do. Now that we've got that background out of the way, <laughs> let's talk about the the next thing is 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 punching holes. It's not as simple as laying it out on the ground and then and where you punch the holes after it's out there. We're going to have to do it in a continuous process. So we're in the process right now of developing the uh, the mechanism that will punch that hole. We're working on a single size at this point just to just to have a proof of concept. And then from there, we're going to start working on how do we increase or decrease that hole size. Uh, because this needs to be a, a streamlined process that when you start laying pipe out, it's already pre-punched relative to your, you know, your computerized hole selection. So pipe planner, you could take a pipe planner script and plug it in there. And what that does, if we can... I'm sorry, not if, when we can do this, we'll be able to be able to do multiple hole sizes as we lay pipe out. Uh, and what that does is that actually will, will give us a little bit more of a benefit because right now, uh, typically when we're writing these scripts, we're writing, you know, two to four different hole sizes across the, uh, across the field. We'll actually be able to, to punch infinitely variable hole sizes. So we should be able to better manage our need for water out of each one of those uh, holes for each furrow. So if we know that we need more out of one, and and that's one of the things that just knowing your fields, I think it's going to become extremely valuable. Understanding where we have problem areas, you know, being able to take all of these all of these pieces and put them together, we'll be able to to tailor. Um, that piece of pipe as we lay it out to match almost exactly what you need in the field. That's our goal. I don't know the timeline on that, but we hope to have something that works um, within, you know, the next 18 to 24 months so we can start doing some testing on it. That is cool. Tom, I'm just going to give you my phone. You handle all my phone calls. I'm going to go work for Wes. All I saw was just a bunch of math in my head. Really, and, 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 and none of it was answered. So Wes is going to do the math. I'm going to work for Wes. I'm not going to work with Wes. I'm going to work for Wes. I'm just going to draw pretty pictures. Man, that is that is really cool, man. That that is really something to be excited about. I, I like all of 
that that you described this morning. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty excited about it too. You know, it, it, it we we as researchers a lot of times we dream up these these projects that that seem like that there's no way for us to get to the answer or we think that we're going to have a simple path to an answer and what we find is as we pull the layers back on this that we know less about the project than we did before we started and I looked at this project to begin with because it was actually presented to us by some soybean promotion board members and I thought man this will be easy this won't be a problem at all because it's just a mechanical system as I started to delve into it a little bit further I'm like I have no idea I I don't have the answers that I need to get to the solution that we're looking for. So we just kept, we're just, we're digging. And so one of the things that I didn't mention in this is the fact that um, the information that we're collecting right now, I'm working with Drew Golson on, and we're going to try to create a pipe recommendation guide relative to your, to your script. So you know exactly what mill thickness and size pipe I need? Something that's like almost like a flashcard that you can look at, and and from your from pipe planner or from uh, faucet or whatever, you can look at it and it'll tell you, hey, I need, I could get by with with seven mill pipe, but I probably should go to nine just in case that there's there's some issue here. So you take some of the guesswork out of it. It also lets you get will give you the ability to buy pipe. In the, in the quantities and thicknesses that you need. So there could potentially be some cost savings there for, for irrigation. You know, obviously it's not any fun to, uh, to have to relay pipe after it burst in the field in the middle of a, in, in the middle of a season. So no, that's a real downer. Yeah, so we definitely don't want to do that, but we want that information out there. I think it's extremely important for our growers to have that. That's another tool in their toolbox that they can grab and say, okay, well, I've always bought 10 mil pipe because I wanted to, to have 10 mil pipe. I was, I've always been afraid that I would burst it, but actually I can look at this chart and go, okay, I could get by with nine or even seven in some instances. And, and, you know, what's, what's that cost savings by roll? It doesn't seem like that much, but when you start buying hundreds of rolls a year, it, uh, it can add up in a hurry. And we want, again, we go back to efficiency. We want to make sure that, uh, we want to make sure that we, we don't spend any more money than we have to. And, you know, that's, that's more money on the bottom line at the end of the year. So that's what we're trying to do is get those, get those answers out there. Wes, thank you. I think that really gives a fantastic perspective, kind of a little snapshot of what's coming in the future. And I think it won't be that long based on what you've said. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm just glad that we have the opportunity to be part of that process. It gives us the ability to put some of that stuff into perspective for, uh, for these uh, these companies that are developing some of this technology, because most of them, you know, most of them are, are based in the Midwest and they don't understand the the Mid South production systems very well. So, I get to give them that feedback and point and, and poke the finger at them and say, hey, you know, this works, but it doesn't work here, and we need to fix it. We appreciate you taking time because I know you're busy and I know you have plenty of things going on and some other aspects of of research across the experiment station here. So thank you very much. Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me. The Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast is a production of Mississippi State University Extension.